Good morning. We'll stay in John chapter 1. It's just been a joy as we've been journeying through a very short section of the Gospel of John. And I'm happy this morning to share about John the Baptist and his statement, Behold the Lamb of God. In an article on the modern self, Mark Dever sums up our current cultural moment in this way. Desire for inner happiness and psychological well-being lie at the heart of the modern era. As we've seen, it's now accepted that the way you see yourself, your inner image, is the true you. However, for one's identity to flourish, it must be acknowledged by others. If you were to ask someone about themselves, you're probably going to feed right into what most people desire to talk about, who they are. You want to get somebody talking real fast? Start asking them questions about themselves right? And you want to get talking real fast? Have someone ask you questions about yourself. The entire landscape and creation of social media was in order to give full attention to individuals sharing as much information about themselves as possible and allowing others to then affirm all the information that they are giving. We want to know who we really are, and we really want other people to know who we really are. Right? That's at the core of, of our selfishness, our, our self-introspection. We kind of get caught up in wanting to know who we are and wanting other people to know the same. Basically, people want to know who they are, but most importantly, again, they want others to acknowledge the primacy of who they know or who they want themselves to be. And the ways in which our culture feeds into this might be subtle at times, or more evident at times, but it can, it can even leak into the church, into the community of faith. One of the things that we saw through the church growth movement of the 90s and the early 2000s, and I would say the, the trickles of it even now, is built around the concept that we need to find out like what people want and give them what they want, what resonates with where those people are at, what do they want, how do they feel. The problem with this culture, the problem with this idea can, summed up, can be summed up well by John Stone Street. When our self-identification triumphs over everything, it leads to absurdities. What we're doing today is trying to find our identity by looking inside, which is kind of like sending someone out to hike in a wilderness with a compass that always points to them. As we encounter the Gospels, we are directed to look not to ourselves, but at the identity of Jesus, the Son of God. That's why the whole prologue in the Gospel of John is like, hey, let's pay attention to who this God has revealed himself to be, right? He has, he has shown us who he really is in his Son, Jesus. And as we gaze into the glory, the wonder, and the majesty of who he is, then we can begin to see ourselves rightly and acknowledge not only who we are, but most importantly, who he is. The beginning of the Gospel of John is actually an explanation of God's self-expression. The very emphasis of the prologue that's given in John 1, 1 through 18, is about the revelation of the Word as God's ultimate self-disclosure. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And now that we've heard
heard that Jesus is this self-disclosure, we're invited by John to see exactly how Jesus disclosed himself to humanity. How was this witnessed in real time through his life, his actions, and his work? So in other words, humanity will witness God's disclosure of himself. Now, John, the gospel writer, is going to begin with the testimony of John the baptizer. So there might be some confusion this morning. There's a lot of Johns flying around. So I'm going to try to keep them straight, and you just hang with me as as best you possibly can. As Jesus begins his work of disclosing God to humanity, we begin in a slightly different place than the synoptic gospels start. We start with the, the direct testimony of John the Baptist. We have in this gospel the testimony of John the Baptist to the official Jewish delegation. They want to know who he is and exactly what it is that he's trying to accomplish. But they're going to end up getting more than they bargained for. And overall, one of the things that we see as we look at the testimony of John the Baptist this morning is this this truth. John the Baptist was able to see who he was only because he saw who Jesus was. And we need to keep that in mind. John the Baptist was able to recognize who he was in light of who he saw Jesus to be. So let's look first at John's testimony about himself, verses 19 through 28. So there's more information on John the Baptist, both in the Gospel of John. We'll see it. Chapter 3 will be the next time we see him come around. We'll see a little bit more about him there, and much more in the Synoptic Gospels as well. You'll see different things about John the Baptist, like how crazy he was, right? Not crazy, but just different, right? Uh, He wore camel hair, and he was kind of wild, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Like, people now are like, hey, everybody, all these people in the world are trying to get us to eat bugs, and John the Baptist is like, I've been there, man. Early adopter. He was a little different, right? He was a little strange. He was out in the wilderness, and he was baptizing people in the Jordan, trying to get them prepared for the coming Messiah. He was getting quite a following, enough so that the Pharisees sent a delegation of Levites out to check out what is going on in the wilderness. Who is this guy? Is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is this a prophet? Is this Elijah? What's happening out here? So we have more information, but John the evangelist, the writer of this gospel, is going to give an introduction to John the Baptist that's fitting of the purpose for which John the Baptist was sent and the purpose for which John is writing his gospel, to show us who God is in his son Jesus. Look at verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? The need of the Jewish Levitical delegation to check out what John was doing makes sense, right? They were religious rulers. They were the ones who were supposed to be paying attention to the the prophecy of the Messiah. They were the ones who were supposed to know what's going on, right? Not only were they the ones primarily in charge of ritual purification and cleansing, right, having to do with baptism, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but also because John the Baptist was a Levite. He was a son of a priest, right? It also puts into motion, though, this continued tension of how the Jews actually ended up missing the Messiah, right? This religious ruling class of the Jews ended up missing the very Messiah they should have been looking for, even though he was right there, even though he was among them. He walked 
among them. So they send a delegation out to ask him, so who are you anyway? Right? Who are you? What are you doing? Verse 20, John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So all they ask him is, who are you? Right? And, and he, his immediate response is, well, I'm not the Christ. And it seems like a strange way to answer a question, right? And, but you also get this phrase, he confessed, did not deny, but confessed, which is what we would call sort of a negative confession. He confessed, did not deny, but confessed. And in his denial of being the Christ, right, when he says, I am not the Christ, John the Baptist actually makes two points. One, there is a Christ, and he is here. And number two, John the Baptist is not him, right? So it's a double confession. This would be, if we want to get our heads around why he answered this way, it would be the same concept as somebody coming up to me and be, being like, hey, Keith, who are you? Keith, who are you? And my response is, well, I'm not the president, right? That says two things. One, there's a president, and I am not him. Although I think I could make a strong case. No, I'm not, I'm not going to make the case. Sorry. I'll just, just move on. So the way John answers the question is a positive inference, but a negative admission. There may have been some, even of John the Baptist's followers, who thought him to be the anointed one, right? This is the dude, the Messiah, the Christ. But this confession would have clearly established both the presence of the Christ and the fact that that's not John the Baptist. It's not him. And so then they, they follow, okay, so he's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the chosen one. So what then? Are you Elijah? John says, I'm not. Okay. Are you the prophet? No. You ever talk to somebody like this and you only get the one word answers, right? I was a youth pastor for quite a few years. This is largely how those conversations would go. You're like, hey, where do you go to school? Here. Okay, what do you like? I don't know. Like, <laughs> do you like football? No. Do you like basketball? No. Do you like talking to people? No. All right. This is kind of what's happening. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's being hard on purpose, right? Or if he's, he just doesn't have time for these guys. <laughs> but he, all he's saying is, no, are you Elijah, right? Are you, are you Elijah come back, right? Because remember what happened to Elijah, right? It's gone. And maybe he's back again. And they get this from, uh, from Malachi, actually. Uh, so they ask him, are you Elijah? No. Prophet? No. Because of the activity of John the Baptist. It was sort of indicative of the same activity that would have preceded the arrival of the Messiah, right? And so this identity questioning that they're doing moves then to the thought of the prophetic forerunner. So if he's not the Messiah, if he's not the Christ, then maybe he's the one that's supposed to come before and, and declare the Christ. And because of the parallels between the way that he dressed and his mannerisms, it, it looks a lot like Elijah, right? If you read 2 Kings, especially chapter 1, like Elijah and John the Baptist have a lot of similarities in, in um, how they act and the way that they dress and behave. And the prophecy of Malachi that Elijah would come before the day of the Lord in chapter 4, verse 5. The next thought, right, might be, so he's Elijah or he's a prophet in the same way as Moses, speaking the words of God before the Lord comes, before the, the chosen one, the Messiah, comes. And interestingly, John answers both of these questions negatively. It's interesting because Jesus' own testimony of John the Baptist seemed like 
those questions would have been very valid questions. If you were to look at what Jesus actually says about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, he says a couple things that are interesting. One, he says, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And in verse 14 in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So, it's hard to determine what's going on here. Is is John the Baptist just doesn't know who he's supposed to be, right? Did Jesus know something about John that he didn't know about himself? How much did he know about who he was? Certainly he would have been aware if he was the prophet who was to herald the arrival of the Messiah, right? So why didn't he answer affirmatively to the questions being asked of him? Was he just being a troublemaker? He's like, well, i kind of Elijah, but I'm not really Elijah. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to the people who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And this is the right question, to ask John the Baptist what he would say about himself. And maybe you've thought about this question before also, maybe on on an application, maybe on a, a job interview, maybe on a first date, maybe on the first day of school when you're doing your class introductions. What do you say about yourself? If you're asked, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Here's what John says, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist is that guy. When you ask him who he is, he responds with some sort of cryptic poetry, right? He says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, here's what's interesting about this. When he's asked about his own identity, John doesn't present a list of qualifications or achievements. He doesn't speak to his Levitical pedigree or his familial ties with Jesus. Instead, he quotes Isaiah 40, in which the announcement of the revelation of the glory of the Lord is given that the word of the Lord will stand forever and that the Lord God comes with might. And John sees himself as the voice crying out to God's people to prepare the way, to straighten their hearts, and to turn all the attention to the one on whom it rightfully belongs. And as I was reading through this and preparing for this text, one of the things that came up is I'm thinking through to John, you know, how, what was his level of knowledge of who he was and why is it that Jesus said things about John that, that he was sort of denying in the questions of the Pharisees. And I thought of Proverbs 27 too, which says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. That's, that, that, that is a very... That is a very helpful statement for us, especially in this time, right? Let another praise you and not your own mouth. See, John the Baptist didn't need to give his own glowing resume. Jesus actually did it on his behalf. John was so driven by his purpose that it wasn't on his mind to speak about his own identity or his own value or his own worth or his own merits. 
He had beheld the glory of the Lord. We'll see later. This was after Jesus had come to be baptized by John the Baptist, right? So he had seen uh, the Holy Spirit descend and, and rest on him. He had heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? He had already seen this. He had beheld the glory of the Lord as Jesus submitted himself to baptism when the Holy Spirit descended and abided and that voice of the Father. So to be clear, John the Baptist was decidedly referring to himself as that voice in Isaiah. He knew that's what he was, but it's a much more humble assessment of himself than even Jesus had given to him. When he was asked to explain who he was, he described himself as a voice pointing all the attention to the Savior. This was his declaration that his message was far more important than his own desire or his own self-knowledge. <laughs> Instead of speaking about himself, his goal was to proclaim the Messiah and to make sure that everyone around him was ready to know who the Christ was. The problem with many, even Christians today, is that our message is the last thing we consider when we think of our identity. And think about that. At best, right, we are, we've been, it's been said that Christian, a Christian is just a beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread. Like, who I am is not nearly as important as who Christ is. Amen? So then why is it that when we're asked about our identity, we immediately turn to like what makes us us, but we leave the message of the gospel out of that. And as Christians, right, it doesn't seem to make much sense when we look at it that way. John the Baptist saw himself, his message as being the most important thing about him. He was set apart to prepare people to answer the question, who is the Messiah? And I would say, Christian, that's what we're set apart to do also, Right? We're not saved so that people can make much of us. We're saved so that we can make much of Christ. What was most important to him is that people were prepared to identify Christ correctly. And to do that, they would have to have their hearts aware of their own sin and then turned toward repentance. So then they ask him, verse 25, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, well, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So again, the delegation sent by the Pharisees was so fixated on getting an answer to his identity, they were missing the point of his testimony. He was trying to turn all the attention on the Messiah, the one who was already among them, and they were stuck on who he was. John's like, you don't get it, right? I'm, all I am is the person trying to point to this guy, and you just want to figure out, like, what's the big deal about me, right? He was causing problems for these guys. It was probably pretty frustrating, his responses. They're trying to find out, why is he out here baptizing people? Right? And you might think, well, yeah, why, why was he out there baptizing people? 
one of the reasons for the confusion was that the practice of baptism, it wasn't unheard of, right? Ritual cleansing was a thing. There were different degrees of like these pools or bodies of water that you could cleanse yourself in, but it was like a self-purification. You didn't have somebody else, typically you didn't have someone else do it for you or to you. You did it for yourself or to yourself. It's like when we get those tales of a leper going and cleansing themselves, right? They're cleansing themselves. They're not having someone else do it. They're going and dipping themselves in the water. It was a self purification, self-administered. And in many cases, like it would be of uh, people who were converted to Judaism, right? Or for the sake of being ritually clean. And there were different classes of water appropriate for this cleansing, the highest of which was referred to as living waters, which were these larger moving bodies of water, which is why a river makes complete sense. And especially the Jordan, right? Because of its historical significance makes sense from a cleanliness point of view and from a historical and purification point of view. So the inquiry of the Pharisees was in response to the fact that John the Baptist was out here baptizing other people, which seemed to point to some authority that he had in preparing the people for something, which in this case was the arrival of the Messiah. And John's affirmation of this idea is found in his response. I baptize with water. So he's, he's agreeing that there's some level of authority conveyed to him in which he's baptizing other people, right, for something. He says, sure, I baptize with water. I'm dunking them in, in the river. But among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So John does claim authority to baptize people but as a repentance of heart to be spiritually prepared for the coming of the Messiah, right? It's repentance. And this we see in the Old Testament too. In order for you know, the Messiah to come, Israel needs to be repentant. They need to understand what they did, and they need to have their hearts turned to the Messiah. And so he does claim the authority to baptize as a repentance to prepare for the Messiah, who is the one with ultimate authority. And again, he doesn't just say, well, I have the right to do this. He couches it in terms of, well, yeah, I baptize in water, but you know who's coming? The guy. <laughs> you know who's already here? The Christ, the Messiah, the one. At this time, students of rabbis were called to do all the lowest tasks on behalf of the one that they followed. However, there was one task that they weren't to do, untie the sandal strap of their rabbi, because that was the job of a slave. It was too low even for one who was learning from a rabbi. And so John, to emphasize the divide between him and his baptizing and the one who's coming, is like, look, you want to know how great this guy is? Like, yeah, I'm out here baptizing with water, but the one who's coming... I can't even touch him. Like, I'm not even worthy to, to do anything. The least task for him, I'm unworthy. So he's always, he just keeps putting, like, who are you? He just keeps putting it back on. Who I am is not important. You want to know who's a big deal? The Messiah, the one who's coming. Any authority John the Baptist had was to be used to point out the greater person, the position and the purpose of the Christ. And there's a not-so-subtle dig in what John the Baptist says to the Pharisees. Essentially, he's saying, my authority in baptizing is to make sure that hearts are prepared to honor the chosen one of God, even though he's already here. And those of you who claim the authority of God aren't even aware that he's here. Who should have known? Who should have known? Well, probably the ones who are in charge of Israel's 
religious group, right? They should have known. And that does show us this, that the response of John the Baptist and the response of the Pharisees is that there's a danger in getting so caught up in self-worth that we miss the one who is of infinite worth. This testimony of John the Baptist illuminates something in the prologue that should be shocking to us. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Chapter 1, verse 11. That's hard to take, isn't it, for us? Like he came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him. And we know now that that's kind of the point, that the blessing to Abraham wasn't just going to be the Jews. It was going to be every tribe and tongue and nation that the Gentiles would be grafted into this wonderful invitation to be made new in, in Christ, to be saved, right? So we've seen what John says about himself. Let's see what John now says about Jesus in verse 29 through 34. So we cut to the next day. So it's the next day. The delegation, I'm sure, has gone away with no answers. <laughs> Probably frustrated. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he's shouting this. I don't want to shout it because I don't want to freak any of you out, right? But imagine like this guy standing out and he sees Jesus and he's like, Hey, that's him. Behold, look at him. Everybody stop looking at me. Look at him. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, this is him of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water. He says, you guys want to know why I'm out here dunking y'all? For this guy, this is it. Like now you're ready to pay attention to what he's going to do, that he might be revealed to Israel. John had very little to say about himself and what he had to say is shown here the next day that his identity and his purpose was to point others to behold the Lamb of God. All the attention must be given to Christ, the Messiah, who is now with his people. All the preparation John had been doing in preaching repentance and baptizing was, was to get people ready to receive him. Right? Like he just, like all this stuff that I've been doing is just preparation. None of this stuff means anything for me other than are you ready for him? And there are a few things that are drawn out here, just even in his statement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First is this, our lack of, of exhaustive understanding of who Christ is doesn't take away from the reality or authority of his person. You might say, well, where are you getting this from? How do, how do we see that John doesn't really understand the fullness of what he's saying about Christ? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At this point early in Christ's ministry, there was clearly not a full understanding of this description, right? Many of his own disciples, of Jesus' own disciples, wouldn't be able to understand exactly what that meant in real time as they were all surprised when he told them that the way he was going to deal with sin would be to go with, to the cross and suffer and die. Because even Peter was like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. That's not how this is supposed to go. And Jesus was like, bro, I know why I came, <laughs> you know. They didn't. And even John the Baptist, if you look down the road, when John the Baptist is in jail, he's like, maybe I should ask Jesus if this is all, is it, are you really who I think you are? <laughs> are you really who you said I, who I said you were? You know, like there was, a, there was a little hint of like, I really hope I'm right on this one. He didn't fully understand it. 
In hindsight, we know now that the Lamb of God was the sacrificial Lamb. But for some at the time, they may have interpreted it as the apocalyptic conquering Lamb of God, which is an idea that we get in like Second Temple literature, but also in the Old Testament, a conquering apocalyptic Lamb of God, which He is. But in this context, we're to understand that Christ's mission was to take away the sin of the world. The bigger idea is that John the Baptist was absolutely correct in his proclamation of Christ's identity, even if he didn't know exactly what that would mean or how it would bear itself out. And sometimes we can get arrogant in our overestimation of how much we understand about Christ's identity. We need to remember always that the Lamb of God is so much greater than our understanding as His glory is incomprehensible to us. If, if somebody comes up to me and I'm like, I've figured out exactly who God is, I'm like, if it's anything more than what God has revealed in His Word, you should probably be careful, <laughs> right? We don't need to know every deep detail of who Jesus is, and much of His identity may overload our understanding. Go back and read John 1, 1 through 18 right? We could have spent, Brandon will affirm, we could have spent a whole year just in the prologue of the gospel of John. There's a lot there. But have, not having exhaustive knowledge is never a good reason not to testify to what he has declared about himself. John testified what he knew. That's the Lamb of God. That's him. In fact, the last statement made in the gospel of John is there are many other things Jesus did where every one of them to be written. I suppose that all the world itself couldn't contain all the books that would be written, right? There isn't a way for finite beings to have all the knowledge of the depth of who Jesus is, but we've been given enough to recognize who he is and especially to see ourselves in light of his greatness. Jesus is God's provision for the sin of the world. Let me make this clear. John the Baptist was clear in saying, like, you need to be baptized for repentance, but you dunking yourself in this water and, and recognizing that you need a Savior is not going to change you. The only thing that's going to functionally change you is you have to be born again. Your sin has to be taken away. The only way for that to happen is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect sacrificial Lamb, the one who Isaac says, where's the sacrifice, shows up here. Here he is. the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And John got to see it. And he testifies, who I am is not nearly as important as who he is. Another thing that we see, <clears throat> secondly, is that <clears throat> the time of Jesus' revelation doesn't change anything about his identity. John says, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. That's a little bit confusing. What he's saying is, you know, Jesus came after me, but he actually came before me, right? Because he was preexistent, which ties into John's prologue on Christ's preeminence and equality with God. Jesus came in flesh at the right time. His entrance into history doesn't diminish from the reality of his identity. It was the exact time when God planned to give testimony to himself through his son. I myself did not know him, John says, but for this purpose I came baptizing that he might be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist didn't even immediately recognize Christ as the Messiah. Like he knew him. Obviously they were related, right? They were, they were in proximity when there were babies in the womb. He didn't immediately recognize Christ as Messiah, right? But even in the womb there was a, a response, right? Something was going on. 
It doesn't make sense to us, and honestly, it shouldn't. In fact, Paul is clear that, that we are, in our flesh, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but that at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. What's Paul saying? You're not going to understand why Jesus showed up when he did. You're not going to understand why God made his disclosure when he did, but it was the right time, and we just have to accept that. The main point, this was the right time exact time when it was right for Jesus to be proclaimed to the world as the Lamb of God. And no matter what critique scholars or skeptics give, the testimony of God's Word is that the Word took on flesh at the perfect time in human history to accomplish everything necessary for the removal of sin from sinful people and for the glory of God to be displayed to His people and to the whole world. And here's the clincher and what we're talking about at this point in the Gospel of John. It was witnessed. It was seen and testified to. Verses 32 and 33, and John bore witness. I saw, I saw with my own eyes the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know that that was him, right? But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John had had disclosed to him by God, when you see the Spirit descend and remain on this dude, this is him, he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And what we see about that is thirdly, the Holy Spirit was the confirmation of Christ's identity and work. It's important for us to note that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. You can see that in Luke 1.15. That's the only case that we see of that. <laughs> in the womb, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist bore witness not only to Christ as the Lamb of God and the Son of God, but at Christ's baptism was given this confirmation by the Spirit of God descending and remaining on Christ. The Holy Spirit had been given in the past in measure, if you look in the Old Testament, in measure to prophets and saints. But in the case of Christ, the Spirit descended and remained, or Christ was given the Spirit in John 3.34, we see, without limit. This, John the Baptist emphasizes, was the sign that Jesus is not only the one on whom the Spirit remains, but the only one who's actually qualified to impart that to other people. The only one who can baptize in the Spirit is the one who has the full measure of the Spirit on whom the Spirit remains, and it's given without limit. That person is the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. John the Baptist is emphasizing that his baptism of water is only meant to reveal Christ, to point to Jesus. As far as Jesus is greater than John the Baptist, so his baptism is greater to the same degree. In Isaiah 11, we see this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my Spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, which Jesus himself says, hey, I'm here, right? John the Baptist could not 
baptized for new life, but only a new way of thinking, only the repentance necessary to behold Christ. His baptism was to prepare hearts to behold the Lamb of God. The baptism, though, that the Son of God works is to give us new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the confirmation of the prophetic announcement that God would ultimately pour out His Spirit on His people. We see that in Ezekiel 36. The Spirit was both the declaration of Christ's identity and the work that Christ came to accomplish. Verse 34, John ends by saying this, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What John the Baptist had witnessed and conveyed by John the Evangelist was the absolute confirmation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or it could be the elect one of God, the translation could go as well, the chosen one of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. He is the baptizer and giver of the Holy Spirit, and He is the Word who became flesh, full of glory. The testimony is not just for us to believe, but also to participate in. What John the Baptist didn't fully know, we are now able to see and behold. Think about that for a second. What John the Baptist, right, the one who was greater than any man ever born of woman, he only saw in part what we now know in full. He didn't even live to see Christ's finished work on the cross. Drink that in, brothers and sisters in Christ. Drink that in. What an amazing time it is for us to be alive, to see, looking backward, all these wonderful things that John and the disciples saw, but to experience it in real time with full power. The testimony given many of us have received, and we have become children of God, not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of God. That's amazing. John the Baptist beheld the confirmation. He looked on and believed in the Son of God. And some of you, some of you who are skeptical in here, maybe, maybe there's a skeptic in here and you might be thinking, well, I would have believed if I had seen. Not so fast because the Pharisees all missed it. And they saw. The very point of the inter interaction with the Jewish delegation is that the ones who should have known missed it. And that is why, right, the, the point that John the Baptist is making is like, my baptism of water doesn't matter nearly as much as being baptized by Christ in the Spirit, okay? And I'm not talking about what some of you have heard or learned maybe in certain histories growing up, that there's one baptism in which you get saved, and then there's a whole other baptism by which, like, you get extra saved. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what we're talking about here. Like, this is me getting dunked in water has absolutely nothing to do if the Spirit's not abiding in my heart. If my heart has not been made new by the Holy Spirit, you can get dunked as much as you want, but you will still stand before the Lord and He'll say, I don't know you, right? The thief on the cross never had the opportunity to get dunked. He's with Christ in paradise. Ananias and Sapphira probably got dunked to get into the church, and I think most of us know what happened to them, <laughs> right? This is why we need a new life, the baptism that only Christ can give us. We need the Lamb of God to remove our sin, and we need the baptism of His Spirit to grant us spiritual birth. Only the Lamb of God, only the chosen one of God is qualified and able to accomplish this, and it is through this baptism we receive the Holy Spirit 
through faith in Christ and become witnesses of the Son of God, just as John the Baptist was. John the Baptist bore witness to the identity and coming of Christ. In Acts 1.8, Jesus declared that his disciples would be my witnesses. When they received the Holy Spirit, they would be his witnesses. In John 16, 13 and 14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way to glorify Christ. We have been saved and made new by the Spirit of Christ for the same reason, to glorify Christ. So then that brings us full circle. How should we answer the question, who are you? How about this? If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and believed upon Christ for salvation, maybe we could say this about ourselves. I am the voice of a life made new, crying out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whatever profession, whatever station of life, whatever circumstances, we are made new by the Son of God, by the Lamb of God, so that we might glorify the Lamb of God. You want to know why you're saved? To glorify the Lamb. The way has been prepared, the work has been accomplished, and by the same Spirit that empowered John to testify, the same Spirit that remained on Jesus in full measure, our lives are animated to one purpose, to testify to the reality and the supremacy of the Lamb of God. At home, in your family, at work, you think, you think what you do at work is, is your purpose or your identity? No, but whatever work you're in, Christian, it's to point other people to the Lamb of God. That is your chief work. At school, young people, your, your purpose at school, if you're in Christ, is to point students and teachers and faculty and staff to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in all of life. James Merritt says this, the witness of the Spirit is God's witness to us, in us, and through us just as the arrow of a compass always points toward the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask for your help this morning, Lord, in being able to receive the word. Um, Lord, but we ask for your help in actually grasping uh, the truth of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. And Lord, there's another work that we would ask of the Holy Spirit this morning here is that if there are any in this room this morning that have never trusted in Christ for salvation, who have never uh, considered beholding the Lamb of God, by your Spirit, would you awaken their hearts to see the beauty of Christ? Lord, would you save them this morning? And Lord, for those of us who are saved, please, Lord, impress on our hearts that our chief identity is to be voices pointing to the one who has taken the sin of the world. Lord, by your Spirit, empower us to be bold in our witness. And Lord, to see ourselves as, as just a voice, a life made new, asking others to behold the Lamb of God. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.